just give God a shout? And give it up for the band, too. Thanks for blessing us. Awesome. Well, go ahead and find your seats. We're about to get serious and get started. And while you guys are finding your seats, one of my favorite verses has always been that the kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's shortened to the point, right? And how many of you know that kidney stones are not from God? So I just really feel like we need to pray for that right now. We just tell that kidney stone to be gone in the name of Jesus. And uh, we also just break off every curse that's been spoken over Eric. And that's it. In Jesus' name, we just uh, love you, Eric. We'll watch you back here real soon. And now we have something special. I know that a lot of us have seen uh, some of the members that come here give their testimonies. How many of you guys have enjoyed that? All right. <laughs> awesome. And tonight we get to uh, hear from a good buddy of mine. I'm excited to hear what he has to share. Hey, give it up for Saul. And the last thing I'll say before I give him the mic, he's actually come running. We've been running together a couple times. This dude is a beast. I think he could outrun anybody in here. So here you go. How's everybody doing tonight? First, let me warn you, if you uh, build an intimate relationship with Eric, you're going to be a testimony. So it's a beautiful thing because... Uh, Something happened Saturday that was kind of amazing. It was Cinco de Mayo for the rest of the world. And for me, I was sitting in my room. Um, it was a long day. I had probably worked out for two hours at the gym and then ran for another 40 minutes. And I was reading, uh, I was finishing this wonderful book called Culture of Honor, which was a blessing. And I was uh, ending the book towards the end of the chapter. And I felt completely compelled by the Holy Spirit to, uh, well, let me just read what it says. It's basically a treasure hunt. And what a treasure hunt is, is you pray to God for him to bring the kingdom of heaven to supermarkets, wherever he tells you to go. And I immediately felt the Holy Spirit talking to me, and I was like, I don't want to do this. He's like, no, you're going to do this. So I obeyed. And let me read exactly what the author talks about as far as a treasure hunt. So it says, to put it like this, simply, treasure list from heaven. This list has things, names, places, colors of clothing, specific areas of the body that have pain, disease, situation in people's lives, gender, all kinds of other clues. The team then goes out into the community to find their treasure. As soon as the treasure hunter, hunter locates someone on the list, he or she approaches. I didn't have a team other than myself, the Holy Spirit, and God. I figured if I'm going to look pretty much silly, I'm going to do it on my own. But knowing full well that the Holy Spirit was like, I'm not going to fail you. So I made up my little list. And Roman, will you hold this, please? This is my list. I immediately got on my knees and I said, God, I believe in you and I believe in your power. So I uh, went to the Holy Spirit and said, Holy Spirit, where is the first place you would like me to go? Knowing full well that the Holy Spirit was going to answer. Holy Spirit said, Brick House. I uh, had no idea where that was at. I just wrote it down. I figured 
I could use the internet to go ahead and look that location up, which I did. Second place, River's Edge Cafe. Again, didn't know where it was, just random names were popping up into my head. Third place, pretzel shop in the mall. I was like, okay, sounds good. Fourth place, Starbucks on J Street, very specific. I was like, awesome. And then I said, can you give me the clues, please? Holy Spirit said, Brick House, you're going to look for somebody with a purple shirt, female. She's got chest pains. I was like, that's simple enough. River Jets Cafe, black shirt. You're going to see a bald man. Somebody's in pain. You'll know what to do. I was like, all right. Third place, pretzel shop. There's a female who works there. Tall, blondest, sandy hair, depressed, is having suicidal thoughts. You need to talk to her. Fourth spot, J Street. To put it in nice terms, God was very clear, but he said, bigger woman. Um, she's going to have some weight issues, and she's got some serious bladder issues. And I was like, all right, we're doing this. As I'm taking a shower, I'm thinking, this is crazy. I'm really thinking that. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. I just want to stay in my room and continue to read. And I don't know if you guys have ever felt this, but the Holy Spirit literally pushes you to do something. That was my push. She was like, you're not laying down. You're getting up. You're getting ready. So that's what I did. And um, after I made my list, I started realizing it's like 7 o'clock at night, Saturday night. I'm like running out of time here. So I asked Holy Spirit, where, where do you want me to go first? Because I realized Brick House is all the way in Elk Grove. But I realized River Jets Cafe was pretty close to where I live. So I immediately start driving there. And as I'm driving, I'm getting out of my car, and I'm just praying. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I do believe in you, and I know you're going to help me here. I get out of my car. I walk into the first restaurant, and I'm thinking it's going to be completely packed. How am I going to figure this one out? I walk in, and there is literally two people there. There's a bald man eating with his wife. I look over to my left, and I see a lady wearing a black shirt. And I was like, wow. And immediately, as, as soon as I walked up to get help, the lady that was helping said, it'll be about five, ten minutes. And I was like, why is that going to take so long? There's nobody here. And I knew this was the Holy Spirit at works. And so what I decided to do, um, because at that point, Holy Spirit's like, you're looking at who you need to talk to. So I went ahead and ordered some coffee, sat down, started off with really small talk, just how you doing? She had a little Kindle, was reading. She immediately opened up and said, I'm okay, and I immediately knew that something was wrong. Just started letting the Holy Spirit work. Two and a half hours later, two and a half hours later, into the conversation, I was seeing her joy and her smile come back. I shared things with her about my life that I haven't even shared with my own mother. She shared things with me about her life that she hasn't shared with anybody ever, and I know that that seed was planted, and she was restored that night. So at that point, they actually kicked us out because the restaurant closed, and I was like, I guess we better go. And she was completely, I, if I could, if you get anything from this, if you could see the love on her face and the smile after this conversation, this is why I'm sharing this testimony. So I said my goodbyes, and I know I'm going to run into her again because she lives around my area, and I look forward to seeing her again. I know the Holy Spirit's going to make us interact again. At this point, I walk out, and I'm like, 
this is really happening. I could not believe it, to be honest with you. I couldn't. And I said, okay, God, we're doing the next one. So I get into my car, again, alone with the Holy Spirit, and I'm talking to him, and I'm like, this was going to be a little bit more difficult. Somebody's at work. How am I supposed to approach? And it was a little bit more of a serious conversation, and I'm walking, get to the mall, and it's almost closing time. I immediately show up to the first pretzel shop, and I immediately know that's not where I'm supposed to be. Holy Spirit's like, this isn't the place. I go to the shop that I did see, and I said, hey, is there, is there another shop around here, pretzel shop, which I didn't even know. They're like, oh, yeah, there's one upstairs. And I'm like, okay, sweet, now this makes sense. I start going up there, and I'm walking up. I see a skinny white guy working the machine, black dude over here working the machine, and there's nobody at the counter, so I'm kind of just waiting. This girl walks out, sandy blonde hair. And immediately I was like, thank you, God. This is going to happen again. So I walk up to the register, and obviously I'm not just going to be like, hey, are you suicidal? Are you depressed? We need to talk. I uh, ask her about the calories, even though they're, like, right on the menu. And she's looking at me like, are you kidding me? You're asking about calories at a pretzel shop? I was like, I know. I just put my head down. And then I said, hey, the reason I'm here, this is going to sound really crazy, but the reason I'm here is because I was on my knees praying in my room and God has a message for you. He just wants you to know that he loves you, that he cares about you, and that whatever lie that's been told to you, it's not true that you're a queen in his eyes. And immediately she started shifting her eyes. She um, almost started to cry. And right then I knew that she was being restored. And there was customers behind us, so I said, hey, why don't you go ahead and help them out? I'll be back and when they're, they're gone. She did. She's trying to keep it together as she's helping them. I let them go, go back up to her, and I said, I'm just a messenger. I just want you to know that he's listening to you and he loves you. And I left a little epic card, so maybe we'll see her around. Um, at this point, I'm like on a super high. Now I feel like the spirit's on steroids. I'm like, let's do this. So I get in my car. I'm driving downtown. And it's Cinco de Mayo, so there's all kinds of craziness downtown. People running red lights. I almost ran a red light because I was so excited at that point. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay, I got to slow down. Calm down, calm down. So I find a parking place about three blocks away from the Starbucks. As soon as I walk up, um, there's a little patio area outside. There's two women sitting in the front. And one of them immediately smiles at me. The other one doesn't. And Holy Spirit's like, there they are. I was like, sweet. Let me go ahead and go use the restroom because I hadn't stopped to do anything else at that point. Go get some water because I didn't need any coffee. I was on such a high from everything that was happening. And I went and got some water immediately as soon as I sat down on the patio. One of the women turns around and says, what are you doing on a Cinco de Mayo all alone in downtown? I pull up my chair next to her. <laughs> and I say, I was just, at this point, I was just very bold. I said, which one of you has a bladder issue? <laughs> and swinging it for the fences at this point. I don't care at this point. And she says, not me. The other lady turns around and says, me neither. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is, I got this one. Like, I'm here for a reason. Which one of you? has a bladder infection. 
I don't know what most of you guys are thinking, but it has nothing to do with that. So as I'm talking to her, um, I'm kind of just sitting there like somebody has this issue. And I let like 10 seconds go by. And my sister to my right, her name was Mary, completely starts to cry. Like, I mean, bawling, crying. I'm like, hold her hand. And I said, listen, I'm here to restore you. I'm here to pray for you. God has been listening to your prayers. You're the one I need to talk to. And she is overwhelmed with joy and overwhelmed with, she just couldn't believe. She said, I believed in God, but I didn't believe that he worked this way. And I said, well, he does because the only reason I'm here, I'm not here because by accident, there is no accident. I'm here because I was sent. Again, I said, I'm the messenger. And let me tell you what he told me about you. And one of the issues she was, of many issues, main one that she was having at that point was a bladder issue. She said that she had just made an appointment the day before because she believed she had a bladder infection that she had forgotten about. And the reason she had a bladder infection was because she had diabetes, which was complicating a lot of other organs in her body. About an hour and a half into that conversation, which we talked for an hour and a half, and I didn't realize it felt like 10 minutes, she was restored. The lady next to me, which was having some knee problems, we prayed over her. I, don't, I didn't really get a lot. I didn't get to say a lot to her because I knew I had a specific purpose. And I can tell you all their names. First name, River Judge Cafe, Rosalie. We'll never forget her name again. Girl that was working at the pretzel shop. Jocelyn, I will never forget her name again. And Mary, I will never forget her name. Because as I prayed for them and I just talked to them and just let the spirit do the work, I hadn't seen that much joy in somebody's face since the last time I looked in the mirror and I realized that God loves me for who I am. And I just encourage you, I was sitting in this front seat about three and a half months ago. I was crying inside, but I didn't let a tear out because that's the way I was brought up. You don't cry. And I was asking God to restore me. And he has and he continues to restore me. And I just encourage you to open up to people that are here because there are a lot of warriors in here. And don't be afraid to just be honest with people because I'm going to be honest with you. We have a lot of prophets in this group. So whether you choose to open up or not, we have discernment, people who have a ton of discernment. It's really up to you. Do you want to take that step and get healed? And that's the beauty of God. He gave us free will. He gave us free will because if not, we would just be robots doing exactly what he said. But he gave us the choice to deny him. So if you've been denying the power of healing, my suggestion is you stop doing it because you're just going to continue to hurt more and more. And I never thought that God would allow me the privilege. I feel privileged to be able to do what I'm doing today. And it's not me. It's just him that I, I said, God, I'm, I'm done living for myself because I'd done it for many years and it was hurtful. Every single person that is in this room has the power that Jesus had. 
when you start believing that and you start listening to the Holy Spirit and when you start exercising it with boldness, at this point, I don't care what anybody thinks after what happened Saturday. I will be bold in the name of Jesus. And so, last thing I want to leave you with is that little voice is talking to you right now. Whatever pain you're carrying around, whatever insecurities you're carrying around, we have the solution. Come talk to us after and we have the solution for you. But you got to take that first step. And the last thing I want to read from this book, because I think it's so powerful. Oh, and here's Mary's business card, by the way, for those of you who, uh, who need some evidence. It says, heaven is begging to invade the prison so many people live in, whether it's depression, pain, disease, or fear. Our role is to eliminate those things in our lives, homes, and church communities so we can lead others to the peace, joy, freedom, and love we've found for ourselves. And I will leave you with that. I love you guys. Nothing like a little true Christianity taking place. That's what it's all about. And he touched on it. But if anybody in here thinks that maybe you can't hear God like that, you're believing a lie because everybody can. So that was awesome. And nothing like doing it on Cinco de Mayo, one of the biggest drunk days of the year, right? Yes. That's really cool. All right, well, now it's time for Mr. Sean Lawrence to bring us a message. We're working out. Leave me alone. Well, you're getting married, so you're probably softening up. They can hear it now. <laughs> this is really tall. I feel like I can't talk now. That was amazing. God, that was dope. Um, how many of you guys were here last week? Right? That was ridiculous. I loved everything he had to say. It's too much. Um, he talked about like an authentic gospel. I mean, this is exactly what he's doing. It's, it's just, it's different than ringing. It's different than the things um, that we like read in the book. Like it, it, it's more. Um, and he talked about how, one of my favorite things was the thing when he said about like, um, how we, we need time before we, like, go back to God, and, and everybody does that. Like, I do that all the time. And as an aside, um, he kind of talked about how um, the happenings in the garden, I'm going to touch this the whole time if I don't move it. Um, the things in the garden, like, it wasn't about disobedience. It was about love. And, uh, and I kind of want to go into that more. He, like, kind of touched on it. I was already, like, kind of thinking about it, getting excited about it. Um, because really um, disobedience and love and like knowing how God treats us in the Old Testament and how he is now like it's very necessary to have like a reconciled view because we everybody has heard like God is constant he doesn't change but who we see him to be in the Old Testament and then who we see him now like it, it, it will completely impact our ability to trust him I mean um, we can all acknowledge for kids um, that love is huge it's the most important thing for, like, them developing into adults. Like, no one can, and I was thinking about it today. 
there's no such thing. Like, love languages, like, they don't exist for kids. Like, kids, you know, like, I'm getting married. I'm supposed to, like, know love languages, understand it. I formerly had no idea that these things existed. And I'm thinking about, like, do kids even care about love languages? Like, they want them all. Like, there's no kid who's like, oh, yeah, mine's time spent. Like, that's really, like, how I receive. Like, five-year-olds, like, they want time spent. They want words of affirmation. They want gifts. Like, they want everything. I love it. But just as important, just as formative um, for development for kids, it's not just love. It's dis- disobedience. It's discipline. Um, they're, they're both just as impactful for kids. I mean, a father can show all of the love in the world. He can be super gracious and, like, great all the time. But when it comes to dis- discipline, if he, like, slaps them and gets all pissed off and just, like, is inconsistent... Like, the, the kid can't have, he can't be sure of himself. I mean, when you think about it, as a kid, if my dad beat me, I would discount every good thing that he had ever done by the bad. It's, it's not the other way around, right? I don't discount the, the good things, the bad things with the good. It's the other way around. Like, it's very specific. Um, and really, like, who we think God is, and, and this is kind of how I'm getting there, who we think God is in the Old Testament, if we think that his, he's, he's, um, he, he's irregular and he's angry and he's vengeful, like, we're not going to be able to come to him in love. And so that's why I kind of want to jump into um, Genesis, like the very first instance, so we can kind of look, because I was reading it, like, it's way, way cooler than we give it credit. All I, I have like a, uh, what, a Sunday school version of, of the the Garden of Eden, like, I, I, I read it the other day, I was like, none of this stuff, like, happened the way I thought it did, um, and, but before I, I, I want to, like, hammer it home about this whole discipline thing, um, I may have shared at some point about how my, my parents did discipline, but it was, like, supremely formative, I think it's more important to me than anything else, um, my, my dad, like, whenever I got in trouble, he'd send me to my room, and I'd go and I'd sit down there, and he would come in, and he would never come in enraged. He'd always come in, like, kind of disappointed that he's got to spank me. And he always gives the same line every time, to which we don't roll our eyes because the spanking will be worse. But he says, this is going to hurt me as much as it hurts you. And, like, we grew up and realized, like, really, he did not like spanking us. But the coolest thing was, um, as soon as we got spanked, he'd go, all right, get your butt upstairs. And we'd go up there, and it was like it never happened. Like, he just, it, he put it under the rug. He, he finished with it. And so, when I read in the Bible that, that God, like, sin, when, when he throws it away, it's as far as the east is from the west. Like, he doesn't care about it at all. It's done. Like, I can fully grasp that. Whereas, picture a parent who beats their kid and then reminds them of everything they've done wrong, and then they, like, screw up a week later, and they're like, this is exactly like, do, 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 the last, like, 15 things you've done. You can't come to God and just say, oh, yeah, yeah, he loves me. Like, the, the concept of a loving God is, is forever. Is, You've got to break down those walls before we can have that um, deep, deep relationship with Christ. So that's why I'm excited about Genesis. It's because it's, it's really important for just how we experience God. So... The Garden of Eden. Does everybody have, like, a picture in your mind real quick, like, try to recall all of the things you remember. Like, when did it happen? Who did what? What was the order? Like, was God pissed? Was he angry? Like, 
was he very stoic and very nice? Like, how, how did he, um, like, how did it all go down? Because it, it happens, like, really, really fast. And there's so much that happens in the book that I don't fully understand. But I'm totally okay with that. So if you've got your Bibles, oh, bend it up. Genesis, go to Genesis. Oh, it moved. Here we go. If you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis 3. I love speaking in Genesis because everybody knows where it is. And it's really important because everybody who's ever read the Bible starts in Genesis. And then they get to like Leviticus and die and then don't read anymore. <laughs> but there's, I love, love this story. Um, even before you get to Genesis 3, um, I just wanted to point out, like it says, I heard this from some pastor somewhere and it was super cool. Um, in 2 verse 17, it says, But of the tree of God saying to Adam now, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, if you eat of it, you shall surely die. Everybody has read that. Everybody knows that. Did he exaggerate? Like, Adam didn't die. That, that was one, that's my, like, first sub point is, like, God, God wasn't exaggerating, and God wasn't lying. So what was he doing? To him, that, that broken intimacy is death. Like, it's, it's so serious to him, a lack of intimacy, that, like, that's the, he's speaking figuratively. That is how it's important to him. And um, it's, so it's really important as we go through, and I'm just going to break it down. I'm going to go through kind of quickly through some of chapter 3 and just talk about different things that are happening. Um, so, um, and we, we hear about the serpent and all he did, right? Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God made, um, had made. And then he said to the woman, has God indeed said, hasn't God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not touch it. No, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And that's one thing that I like. I just, my dad pointed this out the other day. When God says in 2 verse 17, if you eat of the tree, you will die. And he's only telling Adam. Like, Eve is not there. She's not even been made yet. She's still a rib. And, uh, and yet, when, when Eve responds to this, the serpent, she says, no, if I touch it, I'm going to die. Adam, we don't even know what Adam said, but God said, if you eat it, you're going to die. And, and Eve said, if I touch it, which means that at some point, Adam took her aside, like after she'd been made, and was like, don't even touch that. You will die. <laughs> like, it was, what was that, what's that called when you like tell a phrase to someone else and they tell the phrase? Telephone. It's holy telephone. Like that, that's what, and it was, it didn't work, right? Because they still ate it. But, um, let's just keep reading because that's, that's not an actual point. Um, <laughs> then the serpent said to the woman, uh, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat, it of, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to her eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took it, took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Interestingly, they don't have any conversation about it, right? She doesn't come up to him and go, I mean, the serpent said this and God said that and this is what I think. And like, it just says that she gave to him and ate. So it could have been that Adam's just chilling somewhere in the garden eating bananas and she goes, apple. It's good. Trust it. And it could have been, like, they, it wasn't a discernible decision. I don't know if he decided. But I do know that uh, God didn't tell her. 
Like he told Adam, and Adam was supposed to tell her, which is interesting later. But he said, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is kind of one of my favorite things. Because when I, um, I, before I read this, I kind of pictured like how it all went down. And I pictured um, God just like showing up and just like, you ate it! And, and just starting judging. Or like hiding behind a tree and as soon as I eat it, he pops out and starts judging. But like in reality... It says, it says something completely different, and, and it's really, really subtle. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Like, God is just enjoying a stroll. He's not looking for his children to fail. And it's, it's really poignant for our lives, right? Because I get this feeling, I've had it for a long time as, as a young Christian, that God is in heaven with, like, lightning bolts. Like, he, he's, like, looking for me to fail, as opposed to God who's just strolling in the garden, enjoying all that he's created. And if I mess up, like, he's going to correct me, but it's not, like, waiting, me, waiting for me to smite me, which is really important because if, if that's who we view God to be in the Old Testament, we have this view, like, as we get into Matthew and Mark and we, we start reading, like, you know, the newer books, we just assume God doesn't change, and so he's looking for an opportunity to, like, smack me down. But in reality, and so I love moving on. Um, that, that it says, then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? He knew where he was. Um, and so he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? When you, have you eaten of the tree um, of which I have not commanded that you should not eat? Um, he knew that too. I like how he... I'll keep reading. <laughs> and then the man said, oh no, I'll stop there actually. What I like is not that God doesn't just jump in and just start telling them like, you did this and you did that. Like God is conversing with them. Like even in their like their failure. And, and I, I just feel like that's really important for us to understand. Like even when we mess up, like God wants to converse. He wants to like talk about what just happened. Quite often when I mess up, I do something wrong, I get the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't tell me to go to the shopping store. He, he just says, like, why'd you do that? And I go, I don't know. And he's like, no, no, like, why did you do that? Like, what was the root? What, was, what caused you to want to do that? And he's not trying to, like, shame me. He wants to get past the sin. He wants me to get to the root. He wants, to, he wants me to look over the wall that Satan has created and to see, like, why I'm doing this. Because his goal is he's not waiting to beat me down. He wants me to grow. He wants, to, he wants me to prosper. And, I, and I, there's actually a verse in Isaiah 43, 26. And it says, God says, um, come, reason with me. State your case that you may be acquitted. I love that verse. God, God actually wants to talk to me. He wants to like know. I mean, even if you go back to um, Genesis 2, 19, there are things about this amazing God that we will never know. We all know that uh, Adam named all the animals. But, like, look at how it's phrased. Out of, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the air and every, bird, or every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Like, he loves, he, he delights in and watches. He loves our reactions. I don't know how he, he knows everything and yet still, like, likes to watch it unfold. It says, I, I'm going to bring all these animals. I'm going to see what he names them. 
It's like he's been created as, with very creative uh, backgrounds, and he just kind of enjoys watching how you're going to respond. I'm, I'm, I've got a very dry humor. I'm sure God still, like, enjoys it. Some other people are, like, you know, stand-up comedy funny, and they're, like, God enjoys them too. But I, I just, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just get excited about, like, how God portrays himself in Genesis because it's not at this stoic, you know, it was very good, but it was, it's, it's, it's intimate. I bet Waterbury's texting him. It's got to be it. Um, no, but, and then, so continue reading on. Um, it says, and then, this is not my most uh, structured talk. And then men, and, and so God says, why did you eat it? Did you eat it? You ate it. And then they said, then man said, uh, then man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave it to me. She gave me the tree, and I ate. It was very, like, not complicated. And notice he didn't say, like, she talked me into it, or I took it, or she dropped it, or after she ate it, I wanted some. Like, he just said, she did it, her fault. <laughs> and so God turns, and you can kind of picture God. He's like, why'd you do that? He's like, and God, Adam does this, and so Adam turns to, or God turns to Eve and goes, why'd you do that? And so the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? He's told me, you ate it. Why? And the woman said, and the serpent deceived me. She points down. He did it. <laughs> and, and I love, and so the next verse, it says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, right? He's, he's, uh, he's ticked. He's, he's a bit, like, peeved. And this is the thing that we, like, we focus on. We assume that this is, like, this is all that happened it, the, what happened in the Garden of Eden was the fall. But in reality, like, there were a bunch of excuses, and God ignored all of the excuses. And he didn't even respond to them. You notice that? He just, like, he doesn't care. And I, I love that, because if you, if you ever listen to Waterbury talk, he's always talking about the orphan mentality, and, like, all of the excuses. And I love the, like, hyper non-Christian saying, um, excuses are like butts. Everybody's got them, and they all stink. Like, and, and in reality... It's phrased slightly different. But in reality, like, they've got excuses. Everybody's got excuses. And this, I don't know if it's super linked, but I love this, and so I had to read it. Um, And it's about excuses, and it's about the Bible. That's my connection. Excuses, this, Bible. Um, It says, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. These are all people in the Bible. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered, and he kill the guy. Uh, Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was crazy. Peter was impulsive. Martha, you get the idea. Like, everybody has some excuse in the Bible. It keeps going. It's a really long paragraph. And if I read it really fast, it has less impact, but it's still kind of fun. But in reality, everybody has got excuses, and God's not interested in excuses. If we can get past, and this is different, if we can get past these excuses, if we can just kind of like focus on what God's actually doing, he used all of these people super mightily. But as long as we focus on our excuses, like, we're not getting anywhere. Obviously, they're not getting, it's different, right? They're not using their excuses because they're going to be used by God, like, it's, it's, but that was my leap, my motivational saying. John 14. Nope, Genesis 14. So the Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle 
more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust, and all the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and, he shall, and you shall bruise his heel. And one of the things I love is that he does not, God does not immediately start judging Adam and Eve. Like They're clearly the ones that messed up, but God addresses the serpent first. And I just love, I don't know why, like I don't have a great, deep, you know, powerful point, but all I know is that God is not like looking to just drive it home, like he addresses serpent first. And the coolest thing is actually, when, it, when you read that again, it says between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, um, so I will create enmity, um, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The he there, so it says, he shall bruise your head, that he is capitalized. And you shall bruise his heel. His is capitalized. Like, it's referring to Jesus. Whenever a random word is capitalized, assume it's God or the beginning of a sentence. But in this case, it's not the beginning of a sentence, so it's God. And there, it's referring to Jesus. It's saying, so what happened, right? Let's, let's take it back a minute. They fail. They mess up. And the first thing God says after he, he kicks the serpent is he says, he is going to take care of all of this. God's, it's, that's the first prophetic statement. Like Literally, the first prophetic statement in the Bible is seconds after they failed. You get, I mean, you, some people, like, I, I kind of got the feeling a long time ago that God is just trying to make things better. Like He's fixing something that happened. God knew it was going to happen, and in an instant, he had already decided, my son's going to die for them. Like At that moment, that's super powerful. And if, in fact, if you, go, if you go read Isaiah 53, this is, I love this verse. If you're ever going to take communion and you want to like really know what you're, what you're communing about, go to Isaiah 53. That doesn't really work. But because it's describing Jesus in the Old Testament, all that he did. My Bible doesn't have Isaiah. It says, now this is talking about Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, for our peace was upon him, and by our stripes we have been healed. And it goes on to describe in, in brilliant verbiage all that Christ did. But my favorite thing is it says that he was bruised for our iniquities. Like it's, it's saying like right there, it's, those are linked. Like it says that, he will bruise his heel. And essentially what God is saying is that he's saying to Satan immediately, Jesus will smash your head and the most you're going to be able to do to him is, bruise your heel, is hurt his heel a little bit. Like, I just love the fact that it's like on, in an instant, God turns around and says, I'm going to let my son die for you. Oh, I lost Genesis. I just want to like clear up for you guys what is happening um, in Genesis, because it's, God is gracious, he's not angry, he's not, you know, some people think that, like, the New Testament God is this loving God who died for us and did all these things, and, but in the Old Testament, it's difficult to figure out, and I spend more of my time reading the New Testament, because I can, I can handle that, but in reality, like, God is constant, but we just have to spend some time reading and thinking about and asking the Holy Spirit, like, why did you do this, what does this mean, what, you know, question things, and so 16 and 17, after, he's, after he has already given the first prophetic statement about Jesus and all he's going to do, 
she, he turns to the woman. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall now be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then he said, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall, uh, that you shall not eat it, curses is ground for your sake. In toil shall you shall eat of it, and all the days of your, eat of it all the days of your life. For thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field and sweat on your face. And he's saying, Every, you're going to have to work suddenly. Like before, like, you know, mangoes just dropped and all these great things. You're now going to have to till. In, uh, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. You're going to eat bread sweaty. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam called his wife and Adam named Eve. I don't know why he waited for like the fall to name Eve. Like, you need a name now. God called you woman far too many times. And Adam called his wife, and because she was the mother of all living. That, I don't know why. Then the Lord God said, Behold the man who has become like us, to know good and evil. Now, uh, oh no, this is it. I, mi- I skipped my favorite part. And Adam called his wife Eve, because she was mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, Lord God, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. This is not smiteful, angry, you know, uh, you know, spear in hand God. How, how, I mean, imagine this. They're like, they're kind of, they got like leaves and they're not really good at it. Like the nipples are barely covered and it's just kind of awkward. And, and, and God, like, he's judged them already, right? Judgment is, is done. He's already said it. And so he clothes them. And it says he clothes them in like animal skin. And, and in some, in the Amplified, it says like in tunics of, you know, it's this big like swooping gowns of, of animal skin. It's like they're not going to know to do that. Like they just named all the animals. They think they're cute and cuddly. They're, they're not going to go out and like skin them and put their clothes on. And yet God like totally uh, takes care of them. It's, it's, it's not about like, you know, God, once God gives you what he thinks, once he uh, disciplines you, like, he moves on, and he wants to, like, continue. Um, it kind of reminds me of the scene from the prodigal son, right? The, the prodigal son, he's coming back, and he's got this big, long speech, um, and the prodigal dad, God, completely ignores the speech and puts his robe around him. Like, that's kind of what God does here, right? He, kinda, he ignores everything they say. He says something, and then he puts clothing around them. It's just such a loving thing. I mean, I give, I give my jacket to Mandy every once in a while. We'll be at a movie, and it's all romantic, and I'll give him my jacket. And it's just, like, universally, like, oh, she, it's, it's just a loving thing. It's not even that cold. I got longer sleeves. Like, I'm not really sacrificing much, but it's just the gesture of, of clothing someone is super loving. I'm getting off topic. Um... So what happens after this, right? He's clothed them. Most people don't even remember that. He's judged them. He's told the serpent that you now have to slither and you're going to get stepped on regularly. Um, and, and so everybody remembers what happens right now. They get kicked out of the garden. And, and I asked Mandy while I was, I was working on this talk, I was like, well, why did God kick them out of the garden? It's like, oh, justice, and because they deserved it. What, what did you say? You said they did. Huh? To punish them. That's what you said. It was for punishment in reality. And the, um, he didn't. He wasn't punishing them. I, I love this. This is, I keep saying this is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. 
Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold the man who has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now, lest he put his hand out, I put out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, uh, Lord God said, out of, out of the garden even, or therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden even to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned everywhere to guard the way to the tree of life. And if you go back to Genesis 2, it says that God made this beautiful garden, created the animals, Adam and Eve said it was good, said it was very good, and he put two trees in the middle. One of them was the tree of life, and one was the tree of uh, good and evil. Good and evil you don't eat, you know all these things, and it's dis- it, you're, you're disobeying God. The tree of life was eternal life. And God really, he didn't, he, he didn't say you can't eat of the tree of life. He didn't make that distinction. So at any point in time, they could have strolled over. Boom, I get to live forever, and it's great. But in reality, like the first, and I said it in reality a lot. This is a reality-driven message. What happened was they've now fallen. They're, they're now, like, they're, they've, they've, they're in the sinful state. We ever, all Christians can, like, attest to that. You know, that's the first part of describing you know, why we need Jesus. All, all of sin falling short. Like, they were in that state, and so God put them out of the garden and put a guard, and, and the guard was to keep them from going back and eating. And so they were kicked out of the garden, not as punishment, but for protection. He did not want them to eternally get stuck like that. That is such a loving thing. He closed them, and then he sends them out and says, I'm going to protect them from this thing that will cause, to get them stuck in this eternal state. That's a bombshell. And so I'm thinking like, well, it seems like God had this, like, he knew this. It was a plan. It was, it was, and so I'm kind of going back to those. I thought that, well, I've I've reached the end of Genesis 3, and so I'm going to go on reading the things I like reading. So I went over to Ephesians, and it says in 3, 8 through 11, it's talking about the mystery of God, which I love. And it, it says, and the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Like, what is an eternal purpose? It's something that, like, has been purposed eternally. It's not complicated. God e- accomplished his eternal purpose through Christ Jesus. It was the first thing he described in the garden. The first prophetic statement was about what Jesus was going to do. God's eternal purpose was not to have, like, you know, friends in the garden strolling around naked. He wanted sons. Like, that, that's what his eternal purpose is. And it was accomplished by Jesus Christ. If, if you go to Ephesians 1 through 4, you can see the eternalness of God's plan. It says, We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, predestined to adoption as sons. Most people, they read the predestined and they think, well, and they have a really hard time with the theology of predestination. God is talking about the predestination of mankind. We were predestined into Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. That way, when God says in, uh, in, when it talks about in Romans, how I have been crucified with Christ, like, think about it for a minute. How have you been crucified with Christ? You can't, like, put yourself in Christ. You can't, like, there's nothing you can do. It says in Ephesians, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Like, God took care of that. That is how not only do we find our, like, our life's joy, our peace, our hope, but also our, our, um, the power in our current walk is I've been crucified, Galatians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the, the Son of God 
who gave himself for me. So, I mean, this verse, or these verses are painting a picture that is so much better than man fell and screwed up, and so God had to come up with a plan to bring him back. God knew from the beginning and had a, a plan for it. And think about this. Is there anything, anything you can, you can possibly come up with that you would create and then die for? There's nothing. Legos, Play-Doh, pottery. Those are the only things I can think that I could like, make. I can't, I can't picture like making a little Lego man and then just like dying for it. I'll just kick it and start over if it doesn't look like I want it to. <laughs> God didn't do that. That was when God, when, when they fell, he immediately said, my son is going to die. He did not, he did, there was no even thought in his mind that, oh, I could kick it and start over. That's such a like ridiculously loving thing. And the truth is, the only thing you, I can think of that I would die for is a son. My kid, that's your, I don't have a kid, but when I have a kid, like I've heard parents that say like, I would die for my kid. And that's exactly what God does through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's how we can read uh, Romans 8, 15 and really like get excited about the truth. For you did not receive the spirit of, of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God, then joint heirs with Christ. So it's not even sons in heaven, like joint heirs with Christ in heaven. How dope is that? Protection. God has always been about protection. Like you, you can read, you read it all over the Bible. In, in, uh, for later on in Isaiah, it's describing more of who Jesus is. And, and God says, my delight, the one whom I, I hold his hand. Like that, that's who God is. God is a, he's a hand-holding, loving God. Clearly, he, he'll uh, discipline us, but he's never going to, like he's, his goal is not to screw us up. Discipline, understanding how God disciplines is so much more valuable than, is, so, is as very valuable as understanding his love. My dad did discipline really well, but I remember one time as a kid when um, I said something, and I must have said something really bad, like horrible, because he just immediately went, slap me. And I was like, I was taken aback. He was kind of shocked. Everybody was just like, what happened? He's good at this. <laughs> and the first thing, like he went from slap to shock to tears. It was such a like touching thing. And, and, and I knew like I could see so much more of his heart by the way that he disciplined. He, he immediately got on his knees and said, I thought I would never do that. I'm so sorry. My discipline is very important and I have failed. And, and it's just like, it's just with God. We need to understand his discipline, or we will miss the point of who he is. So as the band comes up, I just want to talk about one other thing. And it's, it's similar to, uh, it's, it's kind of the opposite of, but similar to uh, what he was talking about last week. But how when we fail, um, we want time. Right? We want a little bit of time so we can like, do something to feel better about ourselves or because we've seen from our parents that they need time. You know, They get pissed off and we get our spanking, but they're still not quite happy. So then you know, we just assume that God is like that. But in reality, like, God doesn't need time. He, he immediately throws it off. Like, he moves on. And don't you think that, like, I thought about this too. This is what I assume, that 
after the fall, God was kind of aloof. He was just kind of there, but he wasn't really involved. He was, he, he was, he was trying to feel out his new responsibilities with fallen man. But in reality, like if you go um, to just the next chapter, Genesis um, 4, 6, right? This is Cain and Abel. Cain brings his offering. It's not very good. And, and so God's, and Cain pissed. And so God says um, to Cain, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, not you, will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Every, we've heard that verse, but you've got to remember that this verse and God conversing with Cain is right after. It's like that's their first set of kids. God did not remain aloof, kind of pissed off, and, and just not really, I don't know how to deal with these people. They screwed up, like, give me some time. He immediately jumped in and started working with them. Sin is at your door, and its desire is to take you. But I want you to rule over it. And, and, and I just, I want us to leave with both the understanding that God is working in our lives. When we mess up, there are consequences, but as the consequences are not continued God angry at us. That's just consequences. God now immediately wants to work with you. Let's talk about this. Let's grow. Let's move on. Like, God doesn't have any interest in grinding your face in the crap. Waterbury told me not to say crap. So, I guess, as a way to end, if you're here tonight and anything stirred you, any one of these things was something that you were like, yeah, I kind of thought that that was true. Like, we're going to have people up here praying, but if you're here and you, you kind of have this dichotomy, dichotomy, you've heard that God is good and it's up here, but you've never gotten the two-foot drop. Like your heart cannot fully comprehend the truth that God is trustworthy. He is gracious. He is for you. He is waiting for you. He delights in you. Like if this truth is something that's difficult to grasp or if any way you thought that, well, God's inconsistent. I can't really go to him. Then come forward for prayer. Let's pray this crap out. Let us move past <laughs> the lies. Because in reality, in reality, I said it, God is gracious, and he, ha he loves you, and he wants to uh, teach you like a child. Like in one point somewhere in the New Testament, I know I'm supposed to look these things up, but it said um, that the Lord disciplines those he loves. So we should get to the place where we feel the discipline, and we're like, yes. I'm loved. Like, when I got out of college, got unemployed, like, I actually, like, it was kind of weird, but at some point I was like, hey, this is my first difficult time. I've always coasted. This is good. Like, God is a loving God, and he disciplines, but his, he's cooler than we think he is. So if in any, any of this stuff resonated, or if the Holy Spirit's talking about something completely different and I was boring, come up anyway. Because there is, there, the people here are not just, like, wax spiritual prayers like they're powerful and they're prophetic and and when they they pray they see that that god gives them discernment and wisdom to pray lies off of you and so you can you can you know we can learn these things and then peace out but if you respond such a good word if you respond and move forward and pray and really like seek god you're gonna move past and blow through that level of intimacy you feel like there's a glass ceiling tonight is your night so, Father God, I thank you for how gracious you are. 
You are trustworthy. You are good. Lord God, we delight in the small things that we know about you, and we want so much more. God, you are consistent. You are constant. You are everything that is good in our lives. And God, we love both the love and we love the, the hard times because we know that you are always there. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You use all things for the good of those called according to your name. You are the purchaser of our peace. You are bruised, Lord God, for us. And God, you have done amazing things for us. And God, we just, we want to know this God. We want to know who you are. So God, tonight, meet with us. We really long to just respond to you. In your precious name we pray, amen. Give it up for Sean. And I just want to encourage you guys too, because if you're in a room full of people and you feel alone, I've been there, you know, but now I'm in a room full of people and I look around and I see people that I love and you can make that choice tonight too. And I would just, like Sean said, just don't let anything hold you back. If you want prayer for anything. We would love to pray for that. It would bless us and it would bless you. So bring it on and let's, let's worship together.